Hey everybody, it's Nolan North, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, and you're listening to the Geek Apocalypse Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast with yours truly, Mr. Stephen Hesse, and thank you for checking out this episode with a good friend of the show, Mr. Gunnar Roxon, uh, who's wrote Dark Angels and uh, The Wild Hunt from the Agency Files. Uh, really good, um, really good books, sort of steampunky, sci- well, cyberpunky, um, set in sort of uh, post-London, and uh, it's really, really cool, about a detective called John Aries. Um, I have both of them, which uh, which I both recommend, but we're not only uh, about, got him on to talk about that, we obviously talk about a wild, whole bunch of things. Uh, about writing, about uh, what he's been up to since I last spoke to him on the 100th episode, which I encourage you guys to listen to, as well as, obviously, to go to um, the ep- the main episode that he did, um, which we were trying to work out. I think it was the first year or second year, but you'll, you'll find it on the list, um, where he talks a lot more about um, some of the stuff he was involved in, including the death threats he got for doing a, um, a game about climate change, which was interesting. Um, so you want to know more about that and the um, condition that we touch on that he's um, struggled with and um, that we talked about a little bit more on the 100th episode. So um, have a look at them two episodes as well that he's been on. But on this one, uh, he comes on to talk about Broken Shields, which is the role-playing game that he's doing based on the books I just told you about, which is awesome. And uh, yeah, so I was really excited to get him back on and to obviously to catch up with him. Um, and Broken Shields uh, is essentially a role-playing rule book um he's already actually done one before so we talk about that as well and uh, all the stuff that he's working on and also he um was involved in the um mutants chronicles for modifius games so we talked to him a little bit about that because uh, we were talking about the early stages of him being involved in that kickstarter the last time he was on in january of this year so awesome like it's uh, gunner is great um we talk we actually talk a little bit about red dwarf because i just didn't realize that he was a fan and i mentioned um, a joke from uh, Red Dwarf in relation to what he was talking about. So um, we also talk about um, stuff that we're interested in. Um, like most things, uh, it's a conversation. So if it's your first time listening to this, uh, we talk about a whole bunch of other things. And uh, yeah, we recommend it. Uh, as we mentioned um, throughout the throughout the episodes, please do go on uh, Gunnar's website and also which uh, there'll be a link in the description for that and obviously follow him as well on the tweets uh, which you will see in the description but uh, he's super super fun like I say he's welcome back anytime so huge thank you for him to do it and uh, yeah I was really I really enjoyed this so I hope you do too uh, in terms of upcoming episodes uh, record just recorded one with um, Richard Kirby who was on Mentally Sound before who's in a, who works for the NHS so that's coming up soon as well as Ken uh, who he mentions on this podcast um, about record that uh, later today as of this recording so hope you enjoy it please do subscribe to us as well as at geek underscore apocalypse on twitter but this is the episode with the great friend of the show gonna roxon enjoy Like, this is a 
bit where we pretend we have been talking before it started. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know this person at all. Um, it, it's so, important to keep the mystique. Yes. <laughs> yes. We can't reveal everything before. Like it, it's it's almost like when I have some friends on, and I was like, you have to sort of almost pretend. Which is why we kind of make a joke about it. Is I pretend that I never speak to these people off air when it's like completely not true. So. Um, Hello, fellow earthenoids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes hello fellow martians uh thank you this is a podcast uh um so anyway yeah so obviously um just to provide people with the context if this is the first time you know hearing you on or hearing the podcast is that um uh, gunner has been on a f- couple of times from my recollection he was on uh, a full podcast length uh i think in the first year or second year something like that um and i met him Offici- like unofficially, I'd met him beforehand at uh, UK Games Expo, which I think we touched oh, yeah. on yeah. on the hundredth episode. Um, and also, as I as I just said, he was on the hundredth episode special we did, where we got some uh, ex people from the show. There was like about sixteen guests or something, and Gunnar was very kind enough uh, to be one of them people. So we caught up with him then. But that was in January, and about forty episodes later, here we are. <laughs> um, wow. And uh, yeah, so we've got a lot to catch up with. So I guess the obvious question to start is Gunnar. Obviously, welcome. And uh, how have how are you been since then? Oh, I've been good, actually. Um, I took a break from games designing and writing to learn to be a professional plasterer, electrician, and builder to rebuild my house for a bit. All right. Uh, so I, I felt it was important to kind of spend a bit of time doing something kind of hands-on and visceral. Um, and uh, yeah, no, that, so that was fun. But um, more recently, I've been back to the writing and I've partnered up with a, an amazing artist I'm working with um, for the new edition of Broken Shield and working on my novels and just got lots of fun things going, which is really nice. It's really nice to be working with an artist who lives basically around the corner as nice. well. So we're, we're having a lot of uh, brainstorming sessions and I've just been essentially last few months psyching myself up, getting back up to speed, getting back into playtesting um, to get back into going to conventions this, in 2017. So, ah, that sounds very similar to my sort of uh, situation and that I I I um really got quite annoyed at the fact that I've not went to as many conventions as I usually do this year for various reasons. Um, so yeah, it's kind of nice to get back because I missed UK Games Expo for the first time in like three or four years. So I'd like to go back to that and stuff. So yeah, that sounds. Yeah, I understand that feeling very well. <laughs> yeah, so, I had to take a I did to take a year off from, or actually ended up being a year and a half from conventions just to kind of concentrate. I wanted to make sure I was coming with kind of new things. I was going to so yeah. many events, I wasn't having enough time to sort of sit down and kind of be creative. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I spent spent a lot of time doing art and uh, writing and just my own illustrations and stuff as well, and just you know just regenerating really. Mm-hmm. Do you also find like this is something uh, you just made me think of this is that Another thing that I realized as well is, and this is kind of like, I guess, when you take like a passion, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but when you take a passion and make it like a job or something that you have to spend probably more time than you would with a passion project or a hobby or something, is do you find yourself feeling that like with conventions, for example, that you go and because it's all like work related, you you find yourself not maybe as enjoying it much if you were just like a consumer who went to the convention in the first place because i Uh, i find myself getting to that point yeah definitely i mean when i go to conventions i'm basically in one of two modes i'm either there to as a consumer buying well i'm there as a gamer rather than consumer but i'm there to play games i'm there to hang out see friends or i'm there to work you know if i'm there to work i'm 
a little bit obsessive because I tend to not leave the stand at all and you know, <laughs> work myself into the ground. But I really want to, you know, if I'm there to work and do stuff, I, I do that. And it's it's a very, as you say, it's a very different experience. Some conventions really work for me as that and others just don't. I just, you know, want to see friends and hang out. So I'm going to be doing a bit of a mix of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, that, which is why I've decided the next few conventions I go to, I'm not going to be doing any stalls. It's literally just going to be running games you know, building, building the fans, getting, you know, getting talking with people again, getting the beaters and stuff out there, but not, none of this from a commercial perspective. Everything I do, because essentially after the, I got out of the games industry, I'm, I guess I'm kind of a re- semi-retired. Um, I, you know, I, my, my focus these days is just on, on doing cool stuff that I like, that's high quality, that, you know, the kind of commercial constraints that I had before. These days I don't have to worry about, you know, shifting X thousand units or whatever of a computer game, I can just concentrate on trying to make the best thing I can, even if only ten people buy it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot that, like... I remember that, that we had that whole... Com- you just... It's all... Because, I mean, it's... Forgive me, but it's very hard to remember every single individual episode, but, like, you reminded oh, yeah. me, which I'm pleased by. Is that a whole quick story of that you... You were doing, like, a climate-based game? Because I remember you saying... Um, about going on Fox and stuff, or whatever it was, or in America, and being criticised and getting hate mail and stuff, and that. Oh, That's yeah. just I'm providing the context of people who didn't hear that episode. Is that what you're referring to? That's kind of yeah, yeah. What, what Fox News did a program about how I was as evil as Osama bin Laden, <laughs> you know, making computer games. Um, so uh, you know, that was that was a point of pride for me. Uh, but you know, that was like a that's another lifetime ago now. Yeah, yeah. A good encouragement for people to listen to that episode as well, because you go into that a lot more detail. So yeah. Um. But yeah, so um, but yeah, that was just funny. So yeah, I'm just saying in context, like so, because obviously you're involved in the video game industry beforehand. Um, so what's changed, like, because obviously you know we we talked at the hundredth episode and we talked, uh, you know, an, about a number of different things. So yeah, you were talking about things that have changed. So what else has changed during this well, period of time? I, my uh, health has been a bit up and down, but I've yeah. learned to manage that, and I've sort of learned to fold that into what I'm doing. I decided, I realized at a certain point that all the kind of things that have been affecting me health-wise, like so many people in the industry, you can turn those into a part of what drives you and gives you that extra creativity and things. Yeah. So so that's been good. So working within my kind of limitations, and and the limitation has been that because I don't have huge amounts of energy, if I'm going to do a project, it's because I want to love the project. I really want to do it for something that's something that, that appeals to me, that's fun, that I'm doing, you know, just... Really, not trying to put like a faceless corporate front on it, but to just make everything very personal, direct to people, and just because the thing I loved and the thing I've missed in the last year was when I, you know, spent time at conventions playing games, actually, you know, hanging out with fellow players and uh, fellow yeah, gamers, yeah. And stuff, which I've been a bit of a, um, I guess a, a monk for the last <laughs> year or so. Uh, I mean, I, I actually I did get an email from a fan saying, um. You're not dead, are you? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I'm not dead. Um, but I was, I was just kind of, I guess I was doing a Doctor Who regeneration. But, you know, I'm, so the thing that's changed is just knowing that, you know, the, the recently has been getting, uh, partnering up with Ken Turner, who's my art director, mm-hmm. um, and just really having someone, you know, to work with on all the kind of cool creative ideas. And then also trying to bring all the stuff I learned from computer games to, role-playing games so we're doing quite a few interesting things with the role-playing game stuff about how we get it to people and how we get the games out there and and how ultimately after a certain period i want you know 
So you want to sell games, but at a certain point, I want my games to be available for free. I want people to just be able to play them. Yeah. Um, because again, I'm not necessarily doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the love of gaming. Yeah. Um, same reason I did all the stuff for Modiphius for Mutant Chronicles and all their Kickstarter backers. You know, I, mm-hmm. it wasn't the easiest task in the world to do writing 83 backer stories, but I did it because it's so cool doing cool stuff with you know cool fans and having direct sort of connection with them. So yeah, I want, I'm basically focusing on trying to do more of that. Mm-hmm. No, that makes total. That makes total sense. Like, I mean, um, that's. I'm glad you actually touched on that because I forgot that you did all the. Uh, I remembered actually in the hundredth episode you said one of the things you were enjoying doing is that the the Kickstarter because it was a stretch goal, wasn't it? That they got all individual. Yeah. They got all individual stories and stuff. So like, um, I remember you saying I think you're in the process of doing that and saying it was a, it was fun but sort of energy draining, but it, it but it obviously appealed to your passions and stuff. So did that end up being what you expected it to be? Was it fun? Yeah, I mean, it, it so the thing that made it fun were the Kickstarter backers. So their, their enthusiasm was awesome. The thing that made it tough was trying to write 83 sort of short character stories in a row, of, of which, a lot of which were very similar. People wanted to have, people had, you know, there's certain archetypes that work well in that game, and people wanted, multiple people wanted the same archetype. And I didn't want to just churn the same thing out. That, that you know, my, my aim was, I can't put anything out there that I'm not 100% happy with, and I wanted to write something, you know, that these people... The, the, the backers, if they didn't have that enthusiasm for the games, the games wouldn't get made. So, you know, I wanted to do something that was worthy of that. But that made it hard. And mm-hmm. and But the thing, but you know, that was all my own choice. I could have, you know, I think there, there is an easier path I could have taken, which would have been more sort of knock it out, do it, you know. But that's not how I work. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I built a whole meta story into the backer story. So there's there's sort of two or three secret stories amongst all the 83 stories so that you know when you read through it there's a bit more going on a bit more fun but you know and i i that was really cool um Mm -hmm. i think the thing that i didn't enjoy was the kind of the time pressure and also i mean it did burn me out on on mutant chronicles and because of that i sort of had to pull back from that and stop stop writing but um, I got, I did what I wanted to do. So, you know, I worked on the main book. I wrote a couple of other source books and I, and my stuff is in every single book, I think, apart from one in Mutant nice. Chronicles. So, um, so yeah, no, so that was cool. And I enjoyed that. But at the same time, it made me realize that I personally couldn't run a Kickstarter because you really have to be, you know, full on. Yeah. You know, Chris Birch runs these things like a, a military campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah, and you do, and I think you know he does a brilliant job of that. Yeah, yeah. But so uh, so that got me thinking, and that made, brought me around to wanting to do something. So you know, I'm now I'm looking at doing all my games through a Patreon model. Um, oh, so nice, where, yeah. where we do sort of a monthly release. So I've been yeah, working yeah. on uh, sort of little monthly source books in character. So kind of um, actual like newspapers from the game world. Yeah, yeah. And they're full of stories from the game world, which then lead to mission stories. Um, some of which are real, some of which I've pre-written, some that they can play with. But they're a good way of showing and not telling the universe, you know, yeah, making yeah. it much more kind of involved. And then once that kind of gets up to up and running, players who are involved can submit their their missions, and I'll pick a few of those out, and they'll go into future episodes of the the newspaper, and they'll become kind of canon. And so this book become this kind of thick thing of it's the thing I liked in. Um, Games like uh, the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, like when you when you play through a case, you get the newspaper, you look through it for clues, it's cool, and then you play the next case and you realise there's clues in the first newspaper, not just the second newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, I'm trying to develop all of all of that in the stories, and it's it's been a really um, really refreshing way to write actually, because I'm, I'm writing from like very serious stories in it to just really silly things. Like I've yeah. got a 
<laughs> I've got, you know, I've done, I've done a, I'm doing crosswords, and I've, I've got, there's a kind of race of, uh, a version of humans called Hulks in my world, and I've got yes. an Agony Hulk, who, whose response to almost every letter is, uh, tear their arms off and feed it to them, <laughs> send a message, and, you know, so that's kind of silly, and yeah, at the same time, I'm kind of, you know, dealing with other stories and trying to take stuff from headlines today and bring it into the game, and just, you know, I, I realise that if I do that, I can do like an eight-page, um, newspaper and do that every month and then like every three months i'm going to plan to do or every fourth month i'm going to do a mini source book so a mini source book on the police a mini source book on the peers and kind of build it out that way it's it's a nice smaller way to release stuff um that means that i'll be able to get more feedback from the players and get get people more involved and i just kind of want to i kind of want to have it as a it sounds ridiculous but almost like as a big family no you know, I, want, I get it yeah you know it's it's the thing about when you put a creative project out there, it stops being yours alone. And yeah. that's actually one of the most exciting bits of it. So I kind of want to get to that bit as soon as possible so that there's, yeah, yeah. there's there's a material for it. But I want it the stories to feed the players and then the players to feed back into the stories and feed other players, you know, and just yeah. have this kind of get this virtuous circle. But also it's practical with yeah. my health, health and stuff. It's the kind of thing I can do every month, you know, so, you know, just... Um, just so I've just been sort of currently working on, yeah, just just getting the the various bits and pieces up. So yeah. I'll you just showed me just for the benefit because it's audio podcast. Yeah. you just showed me some uh, paper, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and it, and the good thing is it ties into both the role playing game and my novels. There's no spoilers, um, but if you're just a novel fan, you'll still be able to read through it and go, oh, this is interesting. But if you're a role, if you're a part of the you know a role player, you can read through it and go, oh, I can see where this is a case or this is a case yeah, yeah. or. And it's nice it, to find that balance because, like, you kind of obviously want, you know, as you said, I know that you're a sort of a passion and a hobby and all that kind of thing. Is you, you still want to have people who may be casually interested to get just as much yeah. enjoyment out of it? Because I always say that, I'm sure you'll agree with this, is that you know some of my favorite board games are the fact that you can teach it in five minutes, but it has enough, you know, in, intricate strategies in it that you know a hardcore player or I'd say I'm a not, I don't know. That leads to a whole discussion of what is a hardcore player these days, because I really don't know. Um, because, you know, I probably am regarded to most people as hardcore, a hardcore board gamer, because I play every week and stuff, but I don't, yeah. I regard hardcore as like playing eight hour, eight hour war games or something, which is not what I do, but, um, yeah. but anyways, but my point is, is that you can teach someone something very simple, but then it's, it's getting them, you know, because I knew people who are casual gamers and stuff like that, but they play a lot of stuff that I play because it has, um, enough interest in it so I yeah totally agree no i mean it's 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 very much the the showing not kind of telling i mean yes what i mean exactly, is yeah. it's like you know it is it, when you have a story and say one of the example stories in it is that this this ambassador from one state in the game is denying espionage charges from another state yes you know well that story tells you that there's two states that they're they're, they're getting into some kind of shadow war that mm. it's taking place on this area this is you know it gives you all this information without sort of force feeding it to you it gives it to you in that kind of light accessible way and yeah. if you're interested you can go and read more about it or you can follow it up but if not it's just a story you know you yeah. just move on and so you know, I, I, the thing, the reason I did this was because I was, I was flicking through things, just looking for, reminding myself, you know, what, what was it I could do? What can I do? And I, I pulled out the underground role playing game, Ray Winnegar's um, underground role playing game from '92, yeah. and he, the thing that sold me on that was he did a special edition of, I think he called it USA Alive, but it was basically his version of USA Today, 
And yeah. I've still got that. I got it in nineteen, I think in ninety two, and I still have a you know copy of it. And it just it just completely sold the game on me. I didn't even need to read the background. Just flicking through that, I got a sense of what was going on in the world, who mm-hmm. was involved, how it was happening, and you know, and it it's. But it didn't feel it didn't feel like I was reading an encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. So you know, to, so all the stuff I'm writing now is more from the viewpoint, of, like you know, the guide to London in in my game is is more it's closer to a TripAdvisor thing, I guess, than an encyclopedia. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> one star gave me wild cancer, saw my saw my family die, won't eat here again. But their noodles are good, you know, that kind of thing. So um, that reminds me of um, I don't know if you have heard of or what seen any Red Dwarf, but there's a great yeah. um, I'm a huge fan of that series in in England. And they did a joke about being in prison and that they should have like a, a, you know, like an information about prison cells and they should base it on like, oh, we give this cell like two slot buckets in terms of, <laughs> in terms of rating. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, actually Red Dwarf is a huge influence on me. I think it's, it's one of the coolest bits that there's so many good sci-fi stories and sci-fi elements built into episodes of Red Dwarf. I mean, yeah, yeah. actually. One of the things that made me make my whole universe was the Red Dwarf episode Back to Reality with the yeah. Despair Squids. Oh, I love uh, it. Yeah. And, and I just, the, just the tone of it and everything else, it just got me thinking like, what Quite is dark, yeah. going, yeah, where are they coming from? What's yeah. really going on there? And I, yeah. I just had to make it as a game. So, you know, Red, Red Dwarf is definitely a massive influence. I oh, love, that's good. Well, I'm glad. It, yeah. I didn't mean to like bring that up in that sense, but yeah, that's kind of cool. But in, you're right. So, it has a, that episode as well has a lot of like, a, it is, is a very steampunky, steampunky element to it like probably obviously yeah. before it sort of steampunk became w- more popular i guess but yep. you know like i'm thinking of example like Crichton becomes like a cyborg cyborg looking cop in that yeah. episode and like yep. you know, he looks very like sinister and weird and, and he's got a yeah. very like don't give a shit attitude and <laughs> yeah. yeah no it's great and the, the other thing i love i mean again actually same thing i got from another thing i got from red dwarf and also from um 2000 ad and things like that is that and original warhammer stuff is blade just blade runner sense. blade runner is always like the go-to thing that people yeah do. well no actually what i was gonna say is the thing yeah. i like about the, those other ones is that they're very british all oh, right yeah i've realized that i have i i kind of want to emphasize where the game's coming from, what my influences are, you know, make it British. I know, you know, sometimes that can limit you and people go, oh, you shouldn't do that because you've got to appeal to the American market. Well, I think good stuff appeals to people, yeah. whatever. And I think, you know, I'm, I think the more you can embrace that, the better, which is one of the things I love about Red Dwarf is it's never shied away from being incredibly British. Yeah, yeah, because I remember, like, there, there, was one cri- uh, there was one thing that somebody criticised about Red Dwarf, and I remember, like, all the people in the cast, because they've been on, there's, I'm fortunate there's a few been on this podcast, but um, one of the ones I saw in the documentaries they made on each of the DVDs is that there was a criticism of that it was too British and that if you had to understand, like, the class system in England to get it, and then... Um, I remember um, uh, Doug Naylor's response was, "People think there isn't a class system in America. It just it's not that's it's just not defined that way. Like the, there of course is a class system anywhere you go. And yeah. so the idea of that saying that like not understanding that Lister is essentially poor and you know um, Rimmer is a sort of um, an aspiring up middle class trying to be." upper class person and yep. and yeah and and then you've got cat who's like an enigma and a robot who wants to be human which in sci-fi is you know you can name a hundred different you know uh, robots with that with that in with that intent and so yeah it's like like i need i agreed with them i was just like there is a there's a class system anywhere you look really it's just the fact that we define it that way in england it doesn't mean that other people can't understand it yeah but um, you also don't need to dumb down 
You know, that's yeah. the thing. I think, you know, I know lots, I've got lots of American friends who love Red Dwarf and yeah, they yeah. love it for what it is. You know, they don't, they, they they're not stupid. They can figure it out, yeah. you know, and it, 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 people, people can work out if there's a good story there, they'll enjoy it, you know, yeah. and, and they'll enjoy it because it's different because it's not exactly the same as every other show that comes out. Yeah. You know, there are great shows coming out of America. I'm not, you know, this is not a anti-American show no, thing. It's just, but I mean, you know, the same way, like, if you're going to talk about it being too elitist, well, you know, Blackadder and Monty Python were about as English as you could come. Oh, yeah, they're and, huge. And they're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're huge. So, you know, I I, I think it's better to... Well, it's it's the thing I do with my own life in kind of disabilities. You're better to embrace this kind of thing yeah. than to hide behind it. You know, turn it into an asset. So that's that's kind of where I'm I'm from. But yeah, Red Dwarf is a is a good touchstone. Oh, um, well, I just I just mentioned it because it's sort of you you did a joke that reminded me of that. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It wasn't the way you were a fan. Of. I'm a huge fan of it. But um, yeah, but yeah. So um, you you touched on, and I may, I'm going to make sure we mention this, even though, like I say, um, we had you on to talk about your um your case books a lot a lot more previously yep. but just for the benefit of people saying that you said that you know in in the case of broken shields which is what we're i guess we're talking about now is yep. that you can say that the people can get this role-playing book and they can still understand it and stuff but you said it is based on you know other stuff so i guess just to let people yeah, be so, aware of it as to what is it based on so the so the new edition uh, there's an, so i'm working on the new edition of broken shield which will come out um early well the beaters the beaters starting to be out there already um but basically it's ba- it's set it's a a uh, sci-fi role-playing game where you play agents and cops in the universe of my novels. Um, the novels aren't tie-ins; it's the other way around. The, the novels kind of came first, um, but um, so it's all set in London, in sci-fi London, on a uh, in a, which is kind of like almost the only city on Earth, mm-hmm. um, and it's at the centre of a big interstellar universe and everything else. But I'm very perverse and set not a lot of it in like an area of Soho or something even smaller. You know, it's like yeah. the bigger the universe, the more tightly kind of focused it is. So yeah. um, it's it's um, it's a fun espionage, fun you know action packed game, and the new system that I've I came up with over the last uh, couple of years, which I've play tested many hundreds of times now is now just really fun and it's just a it's very much a um success with complication system so <laughs> rather than being a system where it's like you know oh i try and do this oh i can't damn it's a thing of oh i do this thing oh great but i've also set off the alarm or i've also found there's a guard behind here or I've also you know it's yeah. a more it, it's it's designed first and foremost around kind of being fun and fast um and but but you know and but i've i've approached the whole thing the design and the ethos comes from all my years of writing novels, but also from all the work I did in computer games. So I've tried to bring across a lot of the, the work I used to do in user interface into how the world feels. And, yeah. you know, it, it, the idea is, you know, like Red Dwarf, the, another big influence for me is like things like Dune. And I love the fact that you can oh, throw yeah. yourself into the universe of Dune and mm-hmm. you can just get in deep into it as you want. And that's what I've been doing with Broken Shield. So, um, the, the, so the game is set in the same universe, but it's set at the first day of my first novel. And basically right. the two can go off in different directions. So okay. there's no spoilers in either. Ah, either. okay. So it's not um, afterwards. That makes sense. No. So literally the, the idea... So I have... no. You know, it's entirely possible the two will diverge quite significantly over mm-hmm. time because they're not tied together. Yes. And, and that's important because I think in a game, you know, I, one of the things I... If you're in an Indiana Jones game, you don't want to be that guy who's not Indiana Jones. You know, while, while Indiana Jones is stealing the Ark, you're the guy who's stealing 
you know the uh, I, I know, know exactly what you mean yeah the scepter so <laughs> it can be last <laughs> yeah yeah so you know you gotta it, it's important that players have space to to be free to to be the heroes or yes. villains or whatever um, <laughs> it's also like yeah. um just just uh, that's funny i think we should explore that it's just because that's funny because you reminded me of like a friend of mine said this to me the other game like you know when you play like to your point there's two things video games in particular i'm thinking of this when you play like lord of the rings like say you play lord of the rings return of the king you know how it yep. ends because you've seen the film so yep. like they so you're kind of like a, a bit annoyed because like as much as you the game might be good you kind of know what's going to happen yeah. so what they do to solve that like you said which made me giggle is i remember like when they do a lord of the rings and it's a random person from a random like di- like area of the world and he's like a the a, a henchman or a, a king of somewhere and yep. you're like i don't care about this person because he's not he wasn't involved in that thing at all but you get to play him but like as you say you don't get to be aragon or you don't get to be legolas or something so yeah um i love when video game companies do that because it's just like they're going we'll use the we'll use the trademark and the thing that sells yeah. but um we'll make a really crap game that no one will buy <laughs> yeah bob, bob the clodhopper yes exactly yeah <laughs> what, what are you doing today bob um piling up you know, dung again. <laughs> oh look, there's Aragorn. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they just they come in and go like they'll talk to you for a bit and go, I must go now. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> to exactly. to be in the other game. <laughs> yeah, so you know you you don't want that. So I, I need to I needed to have them free because also I don't want to be constrained in my writing by yeah. the game. And likewise, I want play. It's really important to me that when players are getting involved in the whole um, ongoing sort of living campaign in it that they can influence the universe and mm-hmm. so they can take it in their own direction so so that's why the, the two can can go quite you know radically different yeah um and you know it's you know i'm trying out lots of fun things at the moment so in my current te- playtest group we had all the players generate a third of each character a third of each other player's character mm-hmm. um so they all ended up with like these random characters that were kind of you know which are trying out different things seeing to seeing trying to find out new ways of creating characters and getting more stories and, and more things that i can put in the game just stuff that makes it more fun to to play you know there's mm-hmm. um things have changed a lot in games in the last sort of 10 15 years and i, I want to make sure that what the the broken shield fields you know encompasses a lot of that mm-hmm. and we have a lot of fun with it but it's you know it's when you, it, it was quite fun because we had like a player who decided every single other character had to be honest, which is a problem because they were all you know hardcore criminals in a prison. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and, and he just decided <laughs> this, and so they've been trying to play around it and everything else, and it, it's you know it's just good fun. So, but it's it's been really because I'm doing this for because I'm I'm enjoying doing it, not because I have to you know commit, I'm not trying to build a commercial empire or anything. Yeah. I can take the time to revise the rules and work on stuff. But also lay out properly and do you know nice designs and stuff like that. And so Ken and I have been working on a, a full 3D render of London from my novels and the and nice. the role playing game. You know, a city of like 30 million, 40 million people, yeah. and it's really cool. I mean, you know, I stuff I'm, I've never had a chance to see. Like I talk about all these sort of five kilometer tall buildings in yeah, in yeah. my novels, and like actually getting to see them in scale compared to all the other buildings and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. just like whoa, that is actually really huge. I hadn't even you know you kind of. You know, so um, well, well, yeah, because I guess before. like you kind of do try and think about it as a writer, I'm assuming, but then you kind of just go, "Oh, I don't know how tall that is, but it's tall enough." And then, like, yeah. when actually someone does it, you're like, "Hang on a minute, it's like really wow, huge. that, that <laughs> is massive." <laughs> um, and it, you know, it's it's really cool. So, um, one of the things that I'm enjoying at the moment is when Ken's coming up with art. I've given him quite a lot of free reign so that he can 
just pursue the bits of art and areas that he's interested in and when he p- suggests something i tell him where it fits in the world yeah so rather than him me prescriptively just writing an art brief like we would traditionally with yeah. you know, you've got this character doing this thing in this place he'll suggest something i'll try it out and go well actually that works here and um i follow i've always followed a kind of um process of organic layering in games mm-hmm. so if you introduce something that changes something that was in the world before you don't dump what was there previously you you come up with a um some sort of description of how it changed from a to b and that's how you end up with a world that feels sort of like it's built up over thousands of years rather than just kind of a bit artificial so when he suggests stuff and he's like oh i've got this cool idea for new tech but is it too high tech i'm like no 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 that's fine the police now get issued this but then we can have adventures on you know the tech malfunctioning the tech you know uh, being sabotaged rolling out and then have a whole feature over the fact that it's a new thing that's being tested out Hmm. um and stuff like that. So it's you know um, it's 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 fun to have the freedom to be driven by the art sometimes, and other times yeah. to be driven by the novels, and other times to be driven by the players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and kind of take it in in different directions. And um, yeah, no. So that sounds fun. I'm, ha- I'm having a load of fun writing the stories. Yeah, yeah. Tonight. I've written like several hundred news stories now of you know just even stupid things like i say some some things like very serious like the espionage thing i was talking about but yeah, yeah. another thing like about an album a, a band releasing an album and accidentally killing six fans in a Ill, ill-timed release of tigers <laughs> uh, you know just <laughs> about you know so just ill-timed just, yeah it was planned, yeah, yeah. but... Uh. Yeah. They're like, I thought the tigers would be all cute and furry, but it turns out they're all teeth. <laughs> um, so, you know, just uh, having... It, it's it's nice. It kind of allows me... You, you, I'm trying to come up with a... You know, been working on systems that allow me to creatively breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not totally, yeah. It sounds like that's, uh, that's happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just... I'm loving it, actually. I'm re- and the, qual- the stuff I'm producing at the moment is really excellent. And unfortunately, no one knows about it because I've been a complete monk. But, you know, I'm going to get... <laughs> All back out there and cool uh, but but my aim is you know i'm not trying to be the game i don't want the game to be everything to everyone i what i'd rather have is or i'd rather have like i think i've mentioned this before but the law of a thousand fans yeah, so yeah. i've build get to know have a thousand fans who love the game who are interested in buying stuff playing it you know and then get to and be able to know each of them individually rather than you know however many people you know unknown it's the doubt yeah because it's the huge downside of you know, I, I, yeah, I've always thought about this, like, with podcasters, for example, is that, like, you'll get people who are, like, hugely, got a huge amount of, of, of like, say that, you know, the Joe Rogan or something who's got, like, millions and millions of people downloading per um, month. But then it kind of makes you think, how many of them people does he actually know that are regular people? Because I find this kind of thing fascinating that someone may have, I don't know, say, for example, someone has 4 million Twitter followers, but yeah. then if you see how many times they tweet because of just the sheer amount and how many how much your your um your attention can be swayed is that they'll might tweet one thing and maybe get only like a thousand i mean i'm saying relatively speaking it's still amazing but they might only get like a thousand people like it or or tweet it so the four million people it's uh, what i find interesting about that is it's quite misleading to your point because it could be like people go oh we can advertise because four million people watch it but it's like that's guaranteeing that four million people are on the laptop at the same time you send it yeah um, which is not plausible um and like for example whenever i've watched some live streams of joe rogan stuff for example he may like have only like a few thousand watch at one time whereas he don't doubt that the download is like in the millions so like it, yeah it just goes to show how core fans who watch is always like the most important part part that makes something worthwhile and and continue to grow so like i i totally agree with your sentiment of a thousand fans like i think that's 
right? Well, I, I, it's about the quality for me rather than yeah, the quantity. Exactly, I, yeah. re- I realistically, I'm not going to be able to go to every convention around the world. You know, I'm not going to be able to do everything. I can't. You know, I, so I'd rather focus my lim- more limited energy and my focus on on a smaller group. You know, get to know people and um, do do stuff that's more. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing things that are niche. Not everything has to be a, a huge mega success. I mean, I don't, you know, this. if I keep it niche, then I, th- I can remain sort of essentially a one or two person band. Yeah. You know, I don't have to sort of, I, I, I'm done running companies. You know, I did that. <laughs> I, ran a, I ran a big company for, you know, 11 years. And, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to, you know, that, that inevitably draws you away from the creative process. Yes. Really, you know, I... I love making games, I love writing novels, I love doing sculptures and paintings and things. It's just, I like creating, so I just want to, you know, do that. And, and, and if there's a market for it, great. If not, that's fine too. I'm doing it for myself, you know, I enjoy yeah. it, I love what I do, but I like to get the books out there, and so that's all coming in the new year. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in terms of, because um, as we said, it's based on, uh, just to mention the books, because I have them, as I, there's obviously Dark Angel and Wild Hunt, yeah. Um, uh, which is the the sort of case files that their Broken Shield is based on. Yeah, um, and the next one, the next one is now finished. So oh, I was just about to ask I, that. So what's yeah, I've, yeah, it's now. I'm just doing the final edit on the Firestorm conspiracy. So I, it yeah. took a little bit longer to write than I expected, but that's because I got sidetracked by doing cool yeah, stuff, projects stuff and that. I think you yeah. said that on the hundredth episode that I'd said because yeah. I'd saw on your website and stuff that you're like, oh, I'm working on a new one. I'm like, yay. <laughs> yeah, but then I'm also I've also been bloody lazy. Yeah, so, no, you know, so. uh, <laughs> you're lazy. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's the, the truth is, is that you know you get distracted and yes. you can lose, you can lose, you can lose your inspiration and things. But you know, um, it, it it came back. It just took a bit of time to get rolling again because when you when you step away from a novel and you're like seventy five percent the way through, it, it's dangerous because you know I stepped away for a year and then I kind of came back and I had to I then had to go through and read everything again and yeah, try and get yeah. back up to speed and get it all back into my head. So. And the um, fact I think that you took that time off and it, yeah, I, I totally get that. It's like, if you work on a project and you step away from it, it's like you start getting, um, you know, burdened by the fact that you've like got to get involved in the process again and reread it and, and yeah. the, motor, the momentum's gone and the, you know, the, yeah, it's, it's hard is, when you do that. Which is one reason why I turned down a publishing deal that I got offered because I just, you know, I, I need to have the freedom to write at the pace I'm going to write. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, I, the other thing is I started coming up with all these other story ideas I wanted to do. So I've got like a stack of other stories. Um, so I think I think after the first Storm Conspiracy is out, I might concentrate on writing short stories and novellas for a little while. Um, okay. Just to just so I can get stuff out and, you know, keep stuff appearing. Because it, well, especially when you're going to conventions as, um, as a a developer, I guess, or a you know writer or whatever, yeah. you actually want to be able to to take new stuff along because it's yeah. it's most exciting to share new things with people. So yeah, yeah. I don't want to just be the guy who's there selling the same stuff or you know whatever. So it's it's trying to get that balance right. And writing a novel has been fun, but actually you get almost I get as much feedback as I do from my novellas and stuff as I do from the novels. So you know, and they 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 can be slightly purer in concept. You don't mm-hmm. have to have as many subplots and things as so it's it's just. But also, I'm, I'm constantly looking for new challenges in my writing. So, you know, I like new constraints and new things that I'm trying to, to do. And, and, you know, I set myself these games and uh, these challenges. So it, it, it keeps life fun. Yeah. So, but the first one conspiracy is just in final edit now and, and should be available soon. And I'll, I'll, I'll put that out in Kindle and, and softback and hardback as well. Awesome. Same with the and Broken Shield, the beta version will be coming out shortly. And I, we hope to launch the Patreon for it in January. All right, cool. Uh, 
So, and that'll just start small. I can't imagine, you know, I'm not, I'm not imagining we're gonna, it's gonna be a huge success out the door. But that's okay. I just want to build it. The advantage of Patreon is you can just leave it up and uh, it'll slowly grow and stuff like that. Like, that's yeah, the exactly. advantage of it, yeah. But I didn't want to do a Patreon until I could guarantee that I could give something to people every month. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a big responsibility, and I take that very seriously. You know, with people are that committed to you, you kind of need to know that you can commit to them, yes. you know? So so I've waited until we had enough material and enough stories and things like that so that we could get, at least, you know, so I could be three or four months ahead because you don't want to start catching up because then you'll never catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not taking people's money unless I can do cool shit with it. Um, and I plan to do lots of cool shit. I've got, we, I mean, because I'm not doing this commercially, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm planning all sorts of cool stands and cool things that, you know, nice. spending way too much money on things that are very silly, but just because they make me happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Can you know, cool. Be? Exactly. So, you know, ultimately, that's why I do all this stuff. It, it makes mm-hmm. me happy. So, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and I want to share that with my fans and players. Um, it's funny because this came up with me. Um, the, the, it's it's all it's, it's it, I guess to the fact that I'm in you know I guess for want of a better phrase I guess a sort of um, a media person in the sense that I obviously help promote pe- promote stuff people do. Yep. Is that I I find like uh, the thing that I often find wrestling with myself, and I'm kind of wanting to ask you this in a creative sense, is that. You find what you, because like, you know, I talk openly about my mental health issues. I, you, the, there's all sorts of stuff that I'm very open about that some people yep. might deem to be private. And so yeah. I guess it's made me sort of think in relation to what you just said. Do you ever find yourself sort of being aware of how much like stuff you reveal creatively? Like, I guess what I'm asking is, is there is the stuff you sort of like just do personally for yourself and don't release or is there like hobbies you do that you don't like you know mm. that is just specifically for you um yeah i mean I, I i do a lot of miniatures painting and i you know i could i could show those off but you know, <laughs> that's not really it's not my thing i just i like i like that it's a nice sort of meditative thing i do so yeah. i you know I'll, I'll paint all the miniatures i have and mm-hmm. i do I, I don't really show my painting much okay. or I, I i write you know I, I i make songs and music as well i tend to keep that more to myself yeah yeah um but you know but at the same time you were saying about you know i i, I try to be i'm fairly reserved online like in social media and stuff and i think that comes from having had <laughs> back in the day running a computer games company so many death threats and yes. stuff yeah, yeah. but in person <laughs> I'm t- i tend to be very open and yes. you know I'm, I'm very open about the fact that i've had like like yourself, I had you know depression, anxiety issues, and stuff like that. But I think that's. But I'm also very open about the fact. That I think that's a core part of being a creative person. Yeah. You know the the thing that drives creativity is thinking of about the world, thinking about different things, approaching it from lots of different angles, and that can get your brain kind of caught in these kind of uh, vicious circles. Yeah, yeah. As well, if you're not careful. But but I think as long as I've you know the key thing for me is to feel what I do is useful, what I do mm. has some merit. And yes. And to and to enjoy it, you know, I I life is incredible. You know, does it does sneak sneak up on you, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I, you know, there are things I share, and and I tend, I I do have a habit of disappearing into my kind of cave to work on my projects for a bit until I feel that they're at a level that other people can see. Yeah. You know, I I. I I'm not good at hard sell or empty marketing. I can't. I can't sort of promote what I'm doing unless I feel like what I'm doing is actually there. Yes. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's that's kind of I guess that's how yeah that's how I operate. And, uh, and I mean that's that's been a sensible like caring about your craft type 
you know situation yeah. is that you really want it to be good so you would like yeah it's just uh, it's funny because i was talking about that and uh, the last podcast i did about um about just people who put like half-assed ideas out or something like that and now uh, like it, we were talking earlier about kickstarter like chris birch is a good example of this that he has a, a militant way of looking at it but he but he like cares about the stuff that he does whereas yeah you know you see a lot of kickstarters because um a friend of mine was telling me i think it's something like in board games i think only 30 percent of board games on Kickstarter ever get funded, and um, because they're either a bad project or they don't do well in marketing, and and so you kind of have to have that sort of, you know, sledgehammer focus to get it noticed. The thing, I, the thing I learned over running a computer games company for fifteen years mm-hmm. was that ideas are easy. You yes. know, everyone has lots of ideas. Yeah, yeah. What's actually hard is actually delivering those exactly, things and actually yeah. getting it out there. Yeah, yeah. And it's so easy to over-promise and under, under-deliver. Yes. And, you know, we... It's, you the know, Peter so, Molyneux approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's... it's I mean, Sorry, in, 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 no, no, no. In his defense, <laughs> at least he's occasionally delivered. Yes. Because, I mean, I know lots of people who overpromise and never deliver. Yes. And that's even that's worse. True. So, yes. And he, um, in, in fairness, that's why I said sorry in that Dungeon Keeper is one yeah. of my favorite games of all time. So, yeah, like, absolutely. That pass. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I just, I think it's, it's, it's important to, you know, I get ideas all the time, but until you sit down and actually work them through and really develop them up and, you know, put it all together, do the artwork, do the writing actually sit down and do the thing then it the idea is kind of meaningless yes and and i think that's you know like as you say you're talking about chris he doesn't go to a kickstarter until he's got the stuff there to yeah. prove that it, what he's going to do he's going to mm-hmm. do and he does do what he's and you gonna see do. it when it comes out and you know they, yeah. I, I, to, to, I mean like i know that i'm friends with chris so it seems like i'm, I'm a little bit biased which i probably am but like I actually met him after he did Acton Cthulhu, like, so, yep. um, when I heard about that and sort of seen the success of it, I was kind of like, yeah, because he, as we've been talking about throughout this episode, is that having the passion of what you want to do something and you have the passion to do it, that does help you through, like, the sort of days where you kind of go, why the hell am I doing this, or, or it's difficult, or you get, like you said earlier, would you know better than me, like, sort of criticism, uh, very very negative criticism about what you do and just having to go having the conviction of going but i like this because you're always going to get people who are trolls and don't try hard enough and and yeah um, it's, it's easy to be a sideline critic yes and and you know and and that said when people are criticizing and they've backed a kickstarter well if you've done a kickstarter you've taken their money they kind of have a right to criticize so it's you know it's, but it's getting the balance right um, ultimately, I have a lot. I, you know, I, I have an awful, awful lot of respect for anyone who gets anything out there because getting a book out there, getting a Kickstarter, a game, whatever, it's hard work. You know, yeah, so yeah. It's, Most definitely. It's a lot. Of, the, the, the passion gets you so far, but then after that, it's just hard grind, um, and you've got to kind of get the balance right. So, um, but yeah, no. So that's that's why I tend to disappear because I like to go away and actually work on stuff and pop out and and I, you know i don't i don't really want to blow my own trumpet that much i mean i like i like people to like the things i'm doing but yeah. i don't want them to like it just because i'm but it, but it but part of it is like you you touched on this earlier and i think it's like something that I, I wish like sort of the newer generation knew i mean not everybody's like this but you see that a lot on like people like something that's really annoying me recently is i'm seeing a lot of content being stolen and sort of made for their own and youtube people do that all the time where they steal other people's content and just go go on my account and like but there's no original content they're not doing anything original and they're not doing their own thing yeah. and you know and any in any other format that would be breaking the law 
Yeah. Um, and so really what we're talking about now, which is what you seem to clearly have with your work, and as I say, I've, I, I, you can tell when you read your stuff, is that it's the integrity of, like, it's the integrity of the work that you're doing, is that you're doing it, you want to do it to a standard that you find acceptable, like yeah. that's the thing that that's the thing I think most people don't ask themselves. They'll do it and go, "Is it enough that people will buy it?" And like we were t- saying earlier about copyrighted stuff, if stuff's well known, they'll churn out. You know this being in the video game industry, like I said, I touched on it earlier. You'll yep. get games that are shit because and they've got models that they've got because they're, they're based on something that they know is going to sell because it's bigger. The game is not as important. It's not as as big as the thing that the game's about. So they'll yeah. just churn it out and churn it out, and that's why well, the, you know you get games that are uh, that are annual now. You get games that are sold once a year, which is ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, but the, the the trouble with that is though is that that's where you know creativity runs into the harsh mistress of uh, commercialism. You know, you've yes. got a you have a commercial reality which says you've got you've been funded. You know, I spent when I made Face of the World, we spent like I think about a million million and a half on it. Yes, and until you get w- some sales out there, you've literally just thrown all that money in a black yeah. hole. You know, and 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 when you, you know, there were there were times when I was running the company when I was going, oh gosh, I'm, I've spent a hundred grand this week. Oh, I'm spending a hundred grand next week. It's like, oh shit, you know, you've got to, you know, and 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 that. I think at a certain point, that's where people start to go. You know what? Maybe it is good enough. Maybe I should get it out the door. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing. So that it I'm becomes, yeah, that's a really good point. It becomes like necessity over like you know what you ideally would want to do. It's like the necessity of yeah. we need to make money. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, I've never yeah. met a person in who's ma- who's been making a game who didn't want to make a good game. It's yeah. just often they can't. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate at the moment. I'm in a position where I don't have to do it for commercial reasons, which is why I'm taking that as a unique opportunity to be able to just do it for the quality, mm-hmm. for you know the passion and stuff like that. And and that's I'm very lucky like that at the moment. You know, it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's difficult, and and that's you know why a lot of the companies like I say Chris and Modifius and stuff and other co- very many other companies do amazingly well, and that he does a pretty good job of balancing those two realities. Yeah, yeah. You know he um. So, and it's not easy. It really isn't easy. Cause you've got to you, you've got to keep all your kickstarters on side, and you're never going to please everyone. Yes, and I mean, uh, in to Chris's credit, I said this to him before on this podcast. Is that I'm just using him as an example. He's exactly the same person I met when he just finished Doctor Cthulhu as he is now, and like Modifius has like went from strength to strength, and he's yeah. still just as welcoming and just as willing to give you time up and stuff. And that's really hard to do when you start, you know, making a company that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more responsibility. And he's got his own office space now with a dedicated team and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And he's still the same person, so that kind of shows that you've got good, you know, beginning attributes as a person. That yeah, um, you know, you're in, you're going around the right lines already. So. Yeah, I think it's it's. I was always told as a kid, you know, make friends with people on the way up because you don't know who yes. you're friends with on the way yeah. down. <laughs> yes, I love uh, that phrase. Yeah, that's yeah. But yeah. I mean, you know, I, even from a less cynical point of view, I think it's always important to treat everyone you meet. Yeah, regardless of success. Yeah, because every it's amazing what what can spare you on. I mean, I got a a lovely fan from Vienna contacted me not that long ago and it was just you know, completely out of the blue and I was actually having a just an abysmal day and I got this lovely email from him yeah. about how much he loved myself and was keen, you know, where, am I okay, how's my next book coming, stuff like that and I was just like, wow, that's so cool, you know so he actually took the time to kind of get in touch and, Yeah, that's happened to me you know, before, I, like yeah where you get the, like a random email off somebody and it's just like, oh, like I just listened to this podcast and it was really good, I just wanted to let you know and like, that's really yeah. kind, like, you know, because they've just took the time out that day and it just, it just yeah, and as someone, I guess you're sort of reiterating with mental, you know, if you've got like a potentially like a mental health issue, or you're just having a in general just a, yeah. a naturally bad day, is that that can be the difference? Which is why you know that goes into 
I often say when I write about mental health issues, when people say, I don't know what I can do, sometimes it just takes a text or an email or a thing, just to, a, some, a nice, kind gesture can make someone yeah. just sort of deal with that day better. Or, or so, you know, just to, just to understand. Yes. Not, not even to solve, uh, you don't need anyone to solve your problems necessarily, you just oh, want yeah. someone to, to just acknowledge that they are problems. That's a good point, yeah. A lot of so, people, you know. a lot of people feel that they want to fix it. Whereas in some yeah. cases, I have a bipolar disorder which seems to be like sort of a permanent thing because I've had it such a long time. Is that, um, is that, yeah, there's, it, I can just manage it. I cannot get rid of it. So like this idea of the, you know, so yeah, some people you come across go like they try and do like they they get annoyed by the fact that it's. Um, it comes back, uh, whereas, so as to your point, it's just like, no, I don't need someone to fix it because I've tried forever to fix it and it may not be fixable. And we're, so it's just manageable. So then it's just finding like just the understanding of this is the way it is. So like, it makes yeah. you who you are. It makes you who you are. And yeah, that's exactly, important. Yeah. You know, the, that's, that's why you get your different viewpoint. That's where you get your different perspective and stuff. And yes. that's what makes what you make interesting. Yeah, you yeah. know, so you don't, you don't get one without the other. You know, Absolutely. I've said this before. If, if these things weren't useful to us, as hum as a human you know, species, then a lot of these things would have been evolved out in mm -hmm. the past. You know, there there's got to be there has to be a, a there is more of a use. You know, but like people, as I say, people who are, suffer from mental health issues are often very creative and yeah, lateral yeah. thinking. And the reason they suffer from it is because they can't let a, a thing go. They have to yeah, yeah. solve it. They get <laughs> obsessive, and you know, you need, you need that in order to. I'm say, laughing because it's so true. Yeah, yeah in <laughs> yeah. order to get out of you know out of the trees and and out into the rest of the world, you know. You get, it's, <laughs> if you're just content with where you are, then you know. Yeah, because the game with my creative. This is the way my brain works, gonna right? Is that I just I sat there and went when you said being out of a tree. I'm just like I wanted to do the whole thing of yeah, because I spend my time in a tree house the most of the time, and that might be true. No one like no one knows this for certain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in my log cabin right now, so it's technically my kind of tree house. So, Fair enough. Yeah. You know. Um, yep, but yeah, no, yeah. that's funny. But you're right. You're right. I mean, what well, I think the way you phrased it was 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 absolutely right because you said about you know you sort of to paraphrase like sort of being self aware of things is like that's part of being creative is to be aware of what situation you're in. And, well, self awareness I, gives you power. It gives you power yes. over yourself, over your creative process, and it makes all the bad bits a lot less bad because you're like, oh, you know what? It's just one of these things. Yes. Can't deal with it, but I know it'll be over soon. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and like I just say from you know bipolar disorder is a very morbid condition and just like people think that that's a hard way of living but then it also reminds me that the good things are worth are worth having in the first place so like it is kind of like useful in that sense because i can take yeah. it in face value um and, and that's why i love the games the you know role-playing and board games and stuff industry because you just yeah. meet so many cool people mm -hmm. there's so many wonderful creative people out there and the only difference between me and you and say just someone who plays a game is that you know we happen to i might have written a game or you've made a podcast or whatever but those people could do tomorrow you know one yeah. day they're a player next day they're a games maker you know it's yeah yeah so you, you can't then they're every everyone's kind of an equal mm -hmm. no not totally um and uh, and yeah and, and 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 that's one of the things i sort of preach on here is that like you know sort of people's opinion a person's opinion is valuable and like you know so just as much as the next person so well we're all equal before the d6 <laughs> yeah yeah where the dice try to kill us <laughs> yeah exactly the dice apocalypse <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's gonna that's it my, started that's... with a double six yeah. and went downhill from there <laughs> yeah he needed to roll a perfect score in order to kill this monster <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god, he was killed. He was crushed by 120,000 six-sided dice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they made his coffin in all made of dice. <laughs> yeah. The hero bravely scattered a handful of D4s and Caltrops <laughs> behind him. Ow, ow, ow! <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Uh, yes, but yes. So anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm la- uh, the reason I'm la- I find that re- ridiculously coincidental in terms of recently is that I'm finding myself in my board game nights playing a lot of um, like dice-based games and just sucking yep. uh, and just sucking at, the, at how terrible the dice are. Because like, we played, for example, a couple of weeks ago, Mice and Mystics. Um, oh yeah, and uh, we just the worst dice rolling I've ever seen in game in history. That I and in, in, in all the ten years or so I've been playing board games, is yeah. that like we couldn't win one battle. Like we, it was just insane. We kept just rolling like um, no no hits, and and when we roll for the you roll for the um, the enemy in this game, and then you just roll and they go oh they've hit you three times, <laughs> and it's just like it was so harsh. Yeah. I'm not yeah. great with dice. My di- my dice are not my friends right now. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, so well, yeah, no, absolutely, it's good. It's good fun. I've been playing lots of Shadows of Brimstone recently. All right, cool. I've been enjoying that. Okay. I, I painted every single miniature that I've got. So I painted like 150 miniatures, and I've never done that for a board game before. But it does make such a difference. It's, oh it's no, I really like it. I was not even like hugely bothered about like sort of um you know painting miniatures and stuff because like my friends used to be in like warhammer growing up and all that kind of thing um yeah. so i never used to care but then when i saw mice and mystics and um i interviewed alex hall who's do designed uh, the dark souls board game and i just saw the miniatures for all that being a huge fan of that video game and i'm like i want that and i want to paint them so yeah. it, it, it does make it's weird it does make a difference having miniatures in games it just does yeah no it's <laughs> nice to have them all um, painted it just makes it a bit more immersive so. yeah yeah totally yeah, just, fun. yeah yeah and it just makes it look more authentic and stuff like that so yeah yeah um so yeah cool. in terms of so um, so obviously you said you're going to do the next um, board game, uh, board game, um, the next um, book in the series, um, which is yes. going to come out. Do you have a rough idea when that's coming out, or just sometime next year? I'm just going to say 2017, yes. early 2017, because if you I give a know. date, something will happen to stop it happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that happens in a lot of uh, self-publishing type things. But um, but yeah, yeah I wanted to ask you because you mentioned Ken, and, and um, I know we, we've been in discussions behind the scenes about getting him on, which I'm really excited. Um, I think I'm yep. interviewing him the sixth. From what okay. I remember, um, so yeah, then uh, probably the next one, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so um, I wanted to ask, like, because I was looking at the the design of Broken yeah. Fields in terms of like the front cover, because that always oh, yeah. um, makes me interested because i always say this about when you go to like for example you go into a board game shop and you yep. look for a board game that you want and the first thing that makes any sense is like everyone goes like because if you if you get a board game and you put it out and you set it up the two things that every board game company you know this or any board game developer goes the two things that are important are theme and mechanics but yep. before you even get to that it's the way it looks so yeah. I wanted to ask you because I really like the front cover from what I see on the, on the site I'm looking at. Oh yeah, the 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 old the first edition front cover that was done by San Manley, who's oh, a right. fantastic okay. artist, yeah, really yeah. great guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of, so I guess just on it to piggyback on what I've just said, like yep. how important how important is it from your point of view to get like the style of of print in terms of just the rule book and the way it looks, like how important that is for you very um it's 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 kind of essential and it's one of the frustrations about being you know i'm a fun i'm a decent artist but i'm not ken's quality or sam manley's quality and i think it's just so important you know my words 
you know, my words can say a lot, but you just need to have a nice strong look for it. I mean, I'm, a, you know, I'm a trained graphic designer, so in terms of layout and doing icons and iconography and stuff for the game, I'm, I'm sorted. But you do, you do, you just kind of want to have those cool pictures. You know, that's that's what inspires you when you're flicking through the book and stuff. And and so that's why it's been so important to me to be working sort of hand in glove with Ken, mm-hmm. someone to to sort of realise that vision. So. Um, I'd, I'd I'd say it's absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. I guess for the for the purpose of like being fair, because I'll ask, be asking him the same question. Like, so yep. from your point of view, how did uh, how did Ken get involved in your stuff? Like, how did you meet him? Um, we met over board games, and oh, um, and uh, sh- we're we're both because we're both ex video games industry. Um, so we met, we had our, our shared war, war tales uh, for board <laughs> games and, uh, yeah. then, then we kind of got talking we, we sort of, you know, we worked on some ideas together and just you know, over time it just sort of naturally evolved because initially it was like, no, I don't think that's what, you know, we didn't think that two, his ideas and mine would kind of mesh, but we just found that they really did. Okay. And it's just been a very, you know, easygoing, non-pressured thing just to see what's fun and, and, you know, um, it's allowing Ken to expand some areas of his art because he does a lot of 3D work for TV and movies, and um, but but less so in traditional sort of book illustrations and stuff. Oh, so right. it's, okay. it's allowing him to develop some of his art styles in a different way, and it's I think it, it's just nice to be working so tightly together because I can really you know I try and make the most out of every single piece of art that we get. Yeah. If it's you know if it's good, I'll I'll use it in as many different ways as possible mm-hmm. and really sort of build stories around it. So if there's a cool character, I will write a story for it. If there's a cool you know vista, I will I will write something about that location. And then mm-hmm. you know on the flip side, he'll read about a cool thing in one of my books and go like, oh, I really want to draw that. And that's so you know it's it, it's just. Um, it's incredible that the the whole visual appeal of a book is incredibly important, and and I can't let something out the door unless I feel it's of the kind of quality I I would expect. Do you ever uh, do you ever like? Because I I remember hearing this all the time when I watch certain things. Do you ever annoy people? Because I used I remember when I came up with the Gigapocalypse logo, where how long ago it was, is I used to drive my friend who did it crazy because i'd be like can you change the g to be slightly to the left and and he'd just be like okay oh, like it's because you, you want to be like sort of a perfectionist with it because it is going to be a logo you're going to have for a long time and it's going to be a book you have so like how i guess i'm asking this in a sort of playful sense do you annoy ken with that kind of thing or do you no i, don't, I um, you'll, you'd have to ask him okay um and and and, and it's part of, but the main thing i am doing though is i'm trying to give feedback on every single piece of art he does okay because i think that's the most important bit is whether they have feedback good or bad it's for him to know that it's being paid attention to that someone's actually looking at it and going through it because that matters a lot you know um it, it it's very important as any artist when you're doing working on a project with other people that if that you feel that they've been reading it paying attention you know, giving feedback the fact that i i do that with every piece of art i think is critical yes um in terms of layouts and stuff i'm a terrible client for myself i mean i think i might i you know i've done i've I've probably done like 1,200 tweaks of the current uh, newspaper layout, but I was trying to get it perfect. You know, I'm trying to get it exactly right. God mm. damn it. Um, so, you know, luckily Ken doesn't have to put up with that bit because I do that bit. Yeah, so yeah. I just, the only person who's being punished is me. <laughs> um, but I get it. I totally get it. I mean, like you mentioned earlier about like your your sort of hobby, um, your, your, your hobby that you don't like sort of share with other people is music. And like, I mean, that just happened because I was playing earlier. My guitar's just to the left of me as I'm talking. And yep. um, I work on my own music, and you know the only people that hear it is like my, my girlfriend and maybe some close friends. And um, I am just as 
hard working on that as I am with anything I do that's released to the public or anything like that. It's that um, yeah. I'm very much like, and you know, there's a particular song I'm working on where like, you know, I keep changing like the, I get really annoyed with myself, but like, I'm just doing this to make you feel better, as I say, but I like maybe work on a song and it's in a different, like, you know, it's in a different um, tempo or something, or I, I, um, I play it slightly, I pluck slightly differently, or it's a lot slower or faster or or whatever it is, and then I, I find myself like completely changing it and doing it a different way and liking it just as much and going, now I'm, now I'm stuck. <laughs> now, I've got, now I like two yeah. different things. I don't know what to do when I spent all this time working on another one. But, you know, it's, I enjoy it, though, because the, the process of challenging myself is the fun part of it. So I guess I'm asking you, is that part of the reason that you like it, too? Is that it's just it's, it's a challenge, yeah. but it's also fun. Yeah, I mean, um, if I'm not learning new things, I'm shriveling up and dying. So yes. part of it is to push my technique. I want to be better. I, I'm, I'm sat, it, not to say I'm not satisfied with the work I do. I'm quite good at letting it go and letting it out there. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I just want to constantly push my art better. I want to be better at what I do. I want to make something that's cooler. I want to, you know, that's the excitement that drives me forward. So yeah. I'm currently, you know, learning new, there's new bits of software that I've never used before at the moment that I'm using for various art and graphic design stuff. And, really pushing myself on that, you know, just trying to immerse myself in it. And this is, and like I mentioned earlier, at the beginning of the thing, I learned to be a professional electrician this summer, mostly because it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do that. I do that. Like, I mean, like, it always freaks people out when I go, like, you know, I randomly say stuff that I'm I'm doing and, like, the stuff that um, I used to do at university and I don't now. I did some improvised comedy and I have, like, um, I have a puppet um, that my, um, like, some people when they come around go, why have you got a puppet in your living room? Like, oh, I used to do puppeteering for quite a while and they're like, why the hell did you learn that? I went, oh, just because I saw a thing and it seemed fun and I was wanting to know. So, like, I I just think that it's good. That's one of probably the reasons why I enjoy talking to you is because, like, it comes across you come across as somebody who's like similar to me and that you just you see something that's interesting and go i'm going to try and do that um, yeah. that seems fun um, and it's trying to get it's trying to get but it's trying to get the balance between doing these new things and sticking with the thing that you're yes. currently doing as well yes. and that's why you need a bit of both so you need yeah. some things that are going out to public so the stuff that i'm doing for like broken shield that's me committing to that yes. for the long term yes. the stuff i do at home i'll do this for like a month then i'll move on to another thing for a month then i'll move on to a different thing you know well, um, i was i'm glad you said that because that's what i was sort of leading the question to was that what do you, um because this is always a problem when you like you know run a business or, or you wrote yourself employed or whatever or you're self-publishing or whatever is um how do you balance balance that between you know working on something as a work project and doing stuff it, like in downtime like is it hard for you to find that balance i don't really have any downtime because <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not sure I have any uptime. I mean, I just. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> Good point. Yeah, never looked at that way. <laughs> it's kind of all. I mean, I don't work working hours. Um, I I am a lazy um, person. <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> uh, it's fine. Yeah, okay. uh, I, I, and I'll get you know at the same. T- I'll get up when I get up, but at the same time, I I'm I'll work when it needs to get work done. Yes. You know, so. Um, I think the only thing limitation is I try to stop working, you know, half an hour or an hour before bed if I'm still working or something. But, you know, I'll do a bit of work, then I'll go away and play a computer game, then I'll do a bit of work, then I'll paint some miniatures, then I'll go out for a coffee, and then I'll do a bit of work. And I like to break it up. I don't want to do... That's what I do, I, yeah. I mean, some t- there's some elements of projects, like when you're editing, or like I was doing the other day, I did, you know, yesterday I did a full grammar tra- check mm-hmm. on the entire beta document so far, and I just had to get that done in one go, and it's mm-hmm. boring as hell, but important. Yeah. Um, 
but mo- where possible, I try and break the the things into smaller, more manageable, bite-sized pieces. Because then I, I don't get so tired. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the best way of maintaining and encouraging my energy is to just keep it. Do what um, you're telling you that you want to do. I mean, to, yeah, yeah. Even when I was working for people in companies, I was always terrible because, like, ultimately they were hiring me to do certain jobs, and I would do the job, and I would deliver the stuff, and I would do it to a high quality on time. But that meant I didn't really give a shit about kind of the hours and stuff because I figured as long as I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing plus more, I you know, it, what are they paying you for? Are they paying you for quality or are they paying you for quantity? And some places were definitely paying me for quantity, apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the reasons, like, from my point of view, that I sometimes think full-time contracts. Uh, my friends hear this all the time when they work for, like, gra- my, some of my friends work for, like, graphic designs companies, for example, and they just, yeah. they employ them essentially to be there because sometimes they can have periods of time where, like, they'll come and, like, I'll come and see them later that night and they'll be like, oh, what did you do today? And, like, I was waiting for something to do. Um, yeah. which is kind of like, you know, it's when it starts becoming sort of tedious when you're getting paid to just sit in a room and wait for yeah. something to come up. But, you know, that's that's part and parcel of having that type of job, I guess. But, it's just the nature of life, isn't it? But, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I tend to, you know, I, I... The important thing is that I have the time off to focus, you know, I spend time with my wife and, yeah. you know, make sure we're having good time to play uh, games and just, you know, do lots of fun things, but, but also make sure I'm getting the work done. Yeah, so, yeah. It sounds like uh, very incredibly similar because, like, I, I, I feel for, in order for my brain to work, um, I have to do the same thing is that I don't, I, I can't be like somebody that works in a machine where, like, a machine type person that, you know, I don't know if people can do this and I sort of admire them to a certain extent, but I mean, like, doing like an eight hour shift of constantly working and not, because ha- my brain can't compute that way, like, because eventually my work will start being rubbish after a period of time. I mean, um, I used to do that. You yeah. Know, I used to, when oh, I, I did the games too, industry, but, yeah. I worked 100 hour weeks. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and basically didn't sleep for sort of four mm. or five days a week. Yeah, and yeah. that, that was not good. But it's so, you, know, you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did yeah. the same thing. Like, um, yeah. Uh, so, I think, um, uh, when I started Geek Apocalypse, I was work, I, I did that, I did it as a side thing. Uh, mm-hmm. To begin with, thinking, oh, I'll have enough time to do it as a side thing. I was working as a full time as a youth worker, and I was also helping my mom, who was ill at the time. So it's just like I had no time to myself whatsoever. Um, yeah. So that's when it gets dangerous. Is that like, yeah? So it's um, and also like, I guess you know, this is more related to me, but like, I with having a, essentially a mood disorder is people get find this weird, but I think it's funny in the sense of like, for example, a couple of days ago, I woke up and I had, I'm sure you'll understand this with your um, health issues that you touched on, is that you'll wake up and you just have way more energy than you expect, and so I basically took advantage of that and just had a really, really productive day, but then yeah. it's making sure that you just realize that's quite one-off with my, like, mindset, so, like, yeah. when I woke up today and felt a little bit tired and a little bit like, oh, I did a lot yesterday, is that I'm not beating myself up about having a lesser yeah. day today, um, some people that's really hard when you freelance and and self-employed yeah. well, is that that's why i'm not that's why, why you said you know when's the book coming out and i said early 2017 yeah, because that's the only way it. i can realistically deliver it yes yeah. you know it'll come out soon if i don't have get tied down to specific dates it tends to come out sooner because my enthusiasm is not dulled by yeah. the kind of impending sense of doom <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly i get i totally get that and like i mean um i touched on this in the last podcast is that um I originally had this idea of having podcast like releasing the podcast on the same day every week and then found myself getting ridiculously stressed about going, oh, it needs to be released at this time because the downside of doing that is that you can't then do like I did with you and go like, oh, I can make my schedule a lot more flexible for the guests because 
people have got stuff to do and like so by me being flexible it means that i'm guaranteed to get a guest if you see what i mean whereas yeah um so i i found that that was being too problematic and it was making me stressed about it and i'm like thinking people know that i release one at least once a week so um it, who cares what day it is like if they subscribe to it or they'll get it whenever they yeah. notice so yeah it's it's it, it's really hard sometimes like you i think this is what's been useful about this episode is that we've said several times is that if you're a creative person is to not beat yourself up when you have days when you're not creative or you're not as creative or um not to beat yourself up about having like a standard that, that that's too difficult for whatever mindset you have is that to make sure to find out what works for you yeah um, um well i just i just want to do I just want to do cool things. I don't know, yeah. you know, how I don't know how long I'm going to be on this planet. I mean, not not. I don't mean in any sort of fatalist. Yeah, yeah, I just no. want to. I want my my time on this planet to have been, Fun. you know, to, yeah. to have done cool shit. Yeah, yeah. And and hopefully these days to have provided some entertainment for people, so maybe they can escape from some of the pressures of real life for a yeah, bit and yeah. have some fun and maybe do some social, you know, bring to people yeah, together. Yeah. So if I can, any of my stuff does, helps do that, then I've succeeded. I really wanted to ask as well because um, it comes up a lot in conversation. I have about like because we touched on Kickstarter and whatnot, and what intrigued me because you're a perfect person to ask this is what do you think? What do you think in terms of like the way that you know content and uh, you know and, and stuff that and um, you know commercial stuff has changed over the years? Because when you started to do when you worked in, in the company um, at the time, and you said like you touched on earlier that you said something like you spent a million to a million and a half on the game that you did, mm-hmm. um, now it seems. The although like those mainstream companies still do that to a certain extent, what I find interesting is like you take like a, the board game ex- industry is a good example of this. I talk to people about this all the time. Is that it's essentially like a, a supply and demand scale now, where they basically go on Kickstarter and say, you know, we were thinking about making this game. How many people want it? And then people donate, and then they work out how many people want the game, and then you know deliver that promise. Where, yeah. So the they don't need to like I guess the the risk level is not as great as it once was so i'm just interested on your take on it do you think it's sort of that's worked out for the better for for everyone from your point of view yes but i think it's difficult for newer people you know it's like 90 percent of the money is going to go to the established names yes and i think i think that's that's a problem um i don't really know any way around it and it's not like the established names fault and people can get over that mm-hmm. but i think it was easier to get over that in the earlier days of kickstarter and like everything it comes out and it kind of it it, it shakes itself out and gets a bit more settled and then suddenly it's you know dominated by the big projects and different things like that so i don't know i mean i think in general it's good i think it's always better to make a product that you know people want yeah than to to just throw something out there ad hoc so it, it's 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 difficult um I think it is good overall. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, um, but it, it. I think the 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 issue is things like you know, runaway stretch goals. Um, I think are a, a yeah. real problem in that I'm you know I think it's too easy to overpromise, yeah. and then it's just impossible to deliver. And and the time sc- you know Kickstarter and things don't they don't let you as far as I'm aware unless they've changed it they don't let you change the delivery dates once you started the Kickstarter. So if you do like a you know, 10 stretch goals, um, then suddenly your delivery date is going to change, but you're always kind of tied to that. So you're 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 providing uh, a... I didn't realise that is a problem, yeah, because people do yeah. change stretch goals as they're doing it. So yeah, they might realise that the estimate was not, yeah. not right. And, yeah, and, and my, other, my other kind of limitation thing I'm not always keen on Kickstarter is that um, 
is with those sort of things is that it discriminates between your fans on the basis of their financial wealth yeah. rather than their enthusiasm. Yeah, that's true. So it, it is making a often making a conscious statement that a fan who spends two grand on your thing is better than the span, fan who spends fifty quid on your your thing. Yeah, and that's you know just in real life. Yeah. Well, they're just as valuable, and yeah, it's not yeah. true necessarily. You know, the guy who spends two thousand pounds might be gets it, never talks about it to anyone. The guy who spends 50, if if you were just talking about terms pure business sense. You might have someone who spent fifty pounds and then tells everyone about it and gets everyone to play it, and you know. Mm. So they're but but also they're just as valuable in terms of feedback and importance. Yeah, they could have, for example, they could have told a hundred people who also donated fifty pound, and then they, they and then all of a sudden yeah, but, they got a huge but amount even of money. If, yeah, but even if they're just that one person, yeah, you know, that not everyone has unlimited resources. It doesn't mean they care any less. And that yeah, yeah, that's exactly, that, that is yeah. something I have a problem with with Kickstarter is that I, you know, I I on a personal level I want to. You know, I like all my fans equally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to discriminate and say, "Gosh, this person's better," because they, you know. So, I think that's that's problematic. And also, point. also, I think you have to be careful that if you offer too many Kickstarter exclusives, then people who come along later who haven't done the Kickstarter look at the product product and go, "Oh you God, I've missed yeah. out on these exclusives." Oh, yeah, screw yeah. it, I went. Bottom. You're giving me a lesser so, lesser of a game, yeah. Yeah, so you know, it's 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 a balance. But it, on the other hand, getting direct to consumers is good. But you know, if you're a little, it, it can cut out all those friendly local game shops. Um, yes, which, which I which, always encourage on here. Always go to your friendly yeah, game shop. It is, but yeah. I mean, some of them are some some friendly local game shops are brilliant. Others are yeah. not so brilliant. Exactly. You know, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's not a. There's no. There's no easy answer. So each of these things that comes in brings in a new challenge, and you kind of have to look at that and work out what's in it because you know if i sell a role-playing game via a friendly local game shop then i i would have to sell it for about twice as much as if i was going to sell it direct true you know just just because the distributor takes their cut the game shop takes their cut and that's great you're keeping people in in business and everything else but you know therefore to make it worthwhile it has to be more expensive so the person who hasn't got as much money can't necessarily buy it so cool you know i I think i do think about yeah because i I spend a lot of time thinking about this because i really want I, I want my stuff out there, which is why I say that, you know, I have this idea that maybe we'll roll stuff out to Patreon backers first, then we'll move, roll stuff out to things like drive through RPG and print stuff, and then after a certain period of time, I'll just make it freely available on the digital, sort of, digital edition website, so that people can play whoever they are. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I got into games as a kid that didn't cost me any money, and that was what sold me on gaming, you know, and yeah, I'm... Yeah. So... No, I totally want, agree. I, I, wanna, you know, I want to encourage people to to enjoy it to have fun you know yeah um so yeah you must so be a huge fan then because that's one of the greatest that's one of the things that the internet gets a lot of praise for and i think this is what sort of leveled the playing field somewhat is the free distribution is the fact that you can come up with something put it on the internet and say it's readily available to everybody and you yep. can decide whether it be free or five pound or whatever like i'm thinking of Bandcamp, for example that does that and so like oh, yeah I so I yeah mean, no. i buy all my music from Bandcamp because i love the fact that they give 95 percent to the musicians yeah, yeah. i've got so many friends who are in bands who like you know they'll sell you know hundred thousand times more on amazon or itunes or whatever but they make more money on Bandcamp. yeah you know? i had a friend who i had a friend who made a game I made a game. I made a book, sorry, because um, he works as a lecturer, and he put his yep. like he put his um, book on Amazon, and he told me like sort of privately. Obviously, I'm not saying who it is, but um, he um, um, he told me that isn't it right that something that Amazon take like fifty five percent or something crazy in terms of what it, they sell it, or something? It depends on what you're doing and how you do it. They they try and they have very all sorts of 
things that they try to get you to do. But, you know, for my books, they take 30% base, but then they charge you for the download size as well. So it ends up being about 40, sometimes 50%. Yeah. Uh, and then they do random currency exchange things. Um, they're, they're, you know, their contracts are fairly, um, fairly hardcore. But on the other hand, they, they're pretty good about paying. So... You know, okay. it's uh, a different thing, but they're all you know. To try in order to go on one of those ninety nine p book sales, I think I think you have to. I think last time I heard it was you have to pay two hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have sold like three hundred and twenty books before you've even made the money back that you spent on the promotion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you know, it's it, it's 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 not as easy. But I mean, like sites like Drive Through RPG and stuff for role playing yeah, games. Yeah. They're great. You know, they're great. They they take a lot of that middle middle person out and i i'm always happy to support them um, yeah, yeah, been, totally. it's so um you know and there are lots of there are lots of sources out there i think the, the challenge yeah. that becomes getting people to hear about it which is why i come back again to the sort of law of a thousand fans in that you can potentially as an individual promote to a thousand people realistically yeah and also yeah because exactly that we're basically saying like you think about when you said you spent a million in the company that you you were part of yeah. um the difference is now is that because it's so freely available as you can't spend like a million you know if you're an independent company you can't spend like a million pound on a marketing campaign so that's when no. the sort of fans that are loyal that you need them to go oh mention this or retweet this or, or something well, like unless that, you're so. taking the david bowie approach <laughs> which is you, you book yourself into the most expensive hotels you turn up everywhere with an entourage when you're a nobody and everyone's like oh who's that you know why is he so successful and that's you know he, he acted successful to become successful well i've heard that like i i, there might, I think there's probably some value in that i think that's yeah. one of the things that i don't um that I wish I, I had more of a character of, like, or an attitude of, because, like, you hear, like, um, for example, I'm a, I like watching some USC fights, and Conor McGregor said that is what led him to being where it was, because people always remind people that, like, two and a half years ago, he was on welfare in Ireland, and then now he's, like, the biggest, <laughs> arguably the biggest athlete in the world right now, so. Yeah. Um, and, it, and he basically said that he acted, even though, like, he was a nobody when going to gyms, and there'd be, like, you know, world champions, you know, training in this place. Uh, they also used to like give him a hard time because he'd act like he was the best person in the room, and he's like, "But you have to." It makes sense being a fighter; as you've got to be confident as well. So yeah, um, it, it does. It definitely works. You yeah. know, you, it's but it's the same time. If it doesn't work, you know, he you're suddenly massively out of pocket. And so you know, much as I'd love to go to all the gen cons <laughs> and stuff, I can't. You know, I, I can't, can't justify. I, it, yeah. I, I, yeah. If I did it as a ho- holiday, that'd be one thing. But if yes. I was doing it for a financial consideration, it'd be very hard to justify. Yeah, yeah, that's why um, I think. I think if I do go, like the idea of maybe going to America next year and going to one is that I would probably go just yeah. as a fan, um, yeah. for the for the just to experience it and then maybe consider it in another time. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 but then I get that that's the going back to what we were talking about with conventions. I always fall into the trap of if I go as a fan and I see like someone who's there I want to talk to, I can't resist. <laughs> I can't resist going. I could try, but I could try, like, because that's my like my business like fun brain of going. Because I love doing this so much that if I see somebody and want to talk to them, I'm like, oh, can I give? Can you give me ten minutes? And you but know, that's so, fine. You know, yeah. that's cool. That's that's all. That's all a bit of that's a bit of fun. So yeah. you know, um, you go out and you do these things. But and then, then I guess it gives me the choice as opposed to when I'm at UK Games Expo. As much as I love that convention, and I lo- I pre- I really would prefer spending more time playing games like i think you sort of touched on this earlier is yeah. that um um i think the problem is if you announce yourself as media when you go to conventions and it's a happy it's a happy problem to have i'm not complaining in that sense but yeah. i just mean it just means um 
people come to you and like go i'd like can you can i come on your thing to promote this game and like you know and, and you have to say no to people which sucks because you just don't have the time and you don't have the the the, the slots to talk to everybody and yeah so that's when it Plus, sort of becomes a little problematic because it's like you become just the person who they need to talk to as opposed to just wanting to talk to you like yeah. um just a slight downside about it but anyway well i mean plus you get the thing where you end up meerkatting so you're yeah. trying to play a game <laughs> but you're constantly like looking around going oh who's that who's that should i be talking to them I yeah them? yeah exactly and, yeah and that that really can drive you mad yes. i mean it has driven me mad yeah know? i get and, it no you, know, you want to be paying attention I mean. to the person you're in a conversation with not yeah, yeah. the every person who's going past so it's it's trying to get that yeah because if you run it if you if you run in a stand or you're like part of a company that's there or you're for, you, for yourself like i am is that like yeah as you say even when you have some downtime and playing a game you're going am i missing something am i missing something is this person available now like yeah yeah which is why like you know i in my second when that, that happened a lot in the first year so in the second year to solve that problem i brought people with me so i i i paid for some people to come with me so that solves the problem um yeah. it's worth it for the it's worth it for the for the stress for my stress level to go down so i can kind of go okay can you go and ask people what they need and i can well, kind of just you know da- like <laughs> not stress as much yeah, so, yeah conventions are amazing but they're so as everyone knows they're yes. exhausting yes absolutely exhausting well, I, did, yeah. I did five days at mcm last year um that's the reason wow. i didn't go again this year i did i was there um, I went there on the Thursday because it turned out to be sort of cheaper to go, and then on the Friday was the whole media thing, getting to know everybody. Then the yeah. Saturday was the convention. Sunday was the convention, and because my friend, um, who I I took a friend with me, um, who sort of obviously worked for me then, um, and um, he'd never really been to London and socialised, so we made the stupid decision of going. Well, we could get a like late train on Monday and spend Monday in London, and we did all the sites and stuff by like two o'clock on Monday. I got sick. What also sucked as well. I got sick on the Friday, <laughs> so I got sick because of just like being around people and like I just felt rough, and so I like slept in on the Saturday, so I missed like some stuff. And yeah, it just becomes very very stressful. And like yeah. by Monday, by the Monday I woke up, I just wanted to leave. And when I go around the tourists going, oh here's the Buckingham Palace, but I really don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, next time we're both at a convention, let's go find some sofas and just chill. Yes, I would love to do that. Like, let's just not, let's not even like I'll not even bring a microphone. Let's just chat. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, totally. Well, that's actually like that's a good point to end. Like, I mean, I know I don't want to like put any pressure on you to think about yeah. it, but have you any idea what conventions you're going to go to? What's the first one coming up this year? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, see, I that's haven't the thing. I, I'm saying, yeah, I'm going to go to all the conventions, but have I done my research? Have no. I asked? No, I no, haven't either. It's like something I'm trying to work on. Is going like, oh, yeah. I, need to, like, I will. Ha- I will try and make it to UK Games Expo this year. Okay. Definitely. Well, I'm. Try- um, I feel bad. I'm thinking about going this year, the next year. So, so I'm definitely. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm definitely looking at the conventions around. Yeah. So, I basically, I'm going to restrict myself to conventions in england maybe wales possibly scotland but if i have yeah. to fly i'm not going to do it this year fair enough so and, no, and probably just probably do a single same. day at conventions yeah. fair uh, enough but, but um, yeah no i'll do some games and um yeah, yeah that'll be but cool. no yeah we'll, we'll yeah definitely I um do. i'm thinking this one like a friend of mine told me and i might um you know if you're interested i might tell you about it is that um, yeah yeah is um definitely. the um so i'll remind me to do this uh off air but um is um yeah, there's the, the, the friend of mine told me that there's a board game convention not far from here, and I don't know where it was. So not like, I mean, like down south, but not in a random place. But they do it like sort of twice a year. And my friend John, who's a really big gamer, went to it and there's a board game convention. And he said it was one of the best 
independently run ones he'd been to. So I was like cool. kind of really intrigued to know what it was. So I'll ask. I'm, I'm seeing him tonight, so I'll ask him and get back to you. Cool. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, I'm, always, but I'm interested to hearing more conventions. I love, I love going and doing these things, either as a punter or as a you know author or game designer or whatever. Because like, the good point about that is you can go and like you get like loads of like really nice fun fans that go to these like sort of smaller ones because you your games I suppose getting bigger and bigger. And if you yeah. go to like the more sort of smaller ones, it means it gives us time, like me and you, a chance to like kind of talk in a more. Oh, I, lo- more... I love small convention. I mean, yeah. the size of convention is not a size of how measure of how good the convention. Is no, you know, I, I went for my novel writing. I I didn't make it this last year, but I went to Bristol Con in Bristol, a little sci-fi you know writing convention for yeah, many yeah. years. It's only small; I think like a couple of hundred people go, but it was wonderful. People there are so lovely, really yeah, cool, it, and yeah. you get a, you actually get a chance to chat to people. So you know, yeah. I, in one... general, I prefer smaller, more intimate conventions. Yeah, yeah, because like yeah, by this sort of end... Yeah, because if it if you if it's on for it, like I love small conventions that do the whole couple of days, because then yeah. you find yourself by the end of it, you virtually know everyone that's went. If it's that if it's for that scale where it's only a couple of hundred people, you're like, oh yeah, there's this person who I talked to yesterday, and like yeah, it's really fun, and like yeah. you know, and then you get to, and it's more intimate in terms of like you say, in terms of the thousand fans, you might get maybe fifty of them that are there who are like in at the very least know who you are and interested in what you're doing and might check out your stuff, and like that yeah. sometimes is more totally. valuable than having. I'd rather have quality time with people than yes. quantity. Because they'll realise that like you're genuine and all this kind of thing, so it's all good. Yeah. 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 Anyway, cool. Um. Well, I'll get cool. back to you on that. But in the meantime, is there anything uh, to wrap this up? Is there anything else we need to mention? Is there anything else you want? Um. On? No. Just keep, for anyone who's listening, just pay attention. See that my novels should be coming out in uh, 2017, and I'll be launching a Patreon with uh, monthly uh, mission packs and background packs really and fun. The, the adventures and stuff alongside really the beta. And I'll be definitely looking for lots of people to sign, you know, to play the closed and open betas to get feedback. You know, because the game's constantly evolving because i'm doing this because it's cool not because yeah yeah for anything else but just keep people involved um and i also hope at some point to work out which creative commons license to license the system under so that people can play with it and have fun with it as well uh, so, yeah that's good you know, it? yeah, it's about I getting know. it out there and Pretty stuff common, so yeah. just you know um feel free to you know email me get in touch whatever gunnaroxon.com um send me an email if you want to know about anything and um yeah otherwise i'll see people at conventions but do come up and say hello that's the main thing if you know if you like my stuff and you see me at a convention come and grab me because i love talking to, to fans and friends and people cool. who are interested no no totally um yeah and as someone like i actually met him like that's a good way to end because like it goes back to like when i first met gunner was it uh, were you a you were chronicle city wasn't it i think yeah you, yeah and yeah. um and uh, i was talking to angus and yes. you were there with your books and you were behind the stall thing and like I think I don't know whether Angus introduced us or not but I just remember you going on a like you were like um, talking to people about like oh my book and stuff like that and then I went oh hi and then we got talking and stuff and then it was just like oh I create, create. and then I think um, it was a Sunday if I remember correctly and I just like yep. I have no time <laughs> I have no time so let's organise this for after and then we talked yeah. afterwards and it was really cool yeah um, no exactly yeah. I, I do this because it's fun and nice people are involved so you know I'm just reinforcing nice that I was just reinforcing there that you're a nice person when I met you, so <laughs> most so. of the time, <laughs> apart from the killing of people, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But um, but cool. Um, I know whenever I got a chance to talk about your health, but I guess before you go, is every are you in a better better shape health wise, and are you? Um, I'm adjusted. I'm yes. better adjusted. Health health worse, better adjusted. Okay. So you know, overall uh, overall it's all good. Yeah, because I forgot to ask you that because I remember like um, that was quite sort of newish when i talked to you in january so it's nice to know yeah. that you're you're coping and stuff like that that's good yeah yeah know. moving on you know doing cool stuff keeping busy so yeah all good awesome right as i said um are you on twitter are you on the twitter this i want uh, yeah i'm gonna rock 
yeah, just Gunnar, Gunnar Roxon, yeah, okay. At, just... at Gunnar Roxon on Twitter, and I think okay. I think I'm on Facebook. I don't really look at Facebook much because uh, I don't either. Because so Facebook are evil. Yes. Ah, uh, uh, you see, I knew I liked you. I'm the same. I don't go on Facebook at all. Yeah. I logged on the other day because, like, my girl. I only been going out with my girlfriend around about a month. Yeah. And um, and um, I logged on for the first time in two years because she was like, "Would you mind? Like, I know you don't use Facebook. Would you mind like saying that we're going out on Facebook?" And so I logged <laughs> on for the first time in like two years and had about like 250 messages waiting for me. <laughs> or possibly I mean, more. It said actually, I think it had the plus symbol. Like, it was too yeah. much that it had the actual plus symbol. It was like, oh yeah, on and like all these friend requests and stuff and i just went i'm not bothered like i really don't care yeah, no, but if people are welcome to add, add me but i will yeah, say yeah. facebook it may take me a little while to get on there and you know get in touch but you can email me on mikegunnarroxon.com and twitter and stuff Fair enough. I, I do respond to everything that anyone ever sends me yeah um so you know it's good but um cool. best way to talk to me is to come and find me in person because really i prefer that yeah, yeah, totally. So here at conventions and whatnot. Cool. Yep. Um, right. Um, thanks for coming on, Gunnar. It was really fun. And uh, welcome back anytime. And if not before I see you in May, it may, I will probably do a conventional thing, but it would be nice to hang out at yeah. UK Games Expo at the very least. Yep. Um, so it obviously Definitely. just, uh, hook, um, I, I, at the very least, um, we can email and then um, we'll catch up wh- when that happens. Um, okay. Just to say like, oh, I'm going, I, if you're going, um, I'm, cause, um, um, I'm quite friendly with Lawrence O'Brien who runs Wutan Games. Um, and he okay. mentioned about going with him. So hopefully cool. like I might be able to get a space with him is the idea. So, nice. um, awesome. so hopefully we'll, we'll figure something out. Awesome. Um, cool. cool. Um, thanks a lot, Gunnar. I'll see you by officially and then i'll talk to you a little bit off air is just to say thanks so much to gunner obviously if you listen to this on itunes please do just consider subscribing to us to get the latest episodes when they are released um and obviously like we touched on during the podcast if you got this far obviously is um gunner's been on before um so if you want to know more about um dark uh, angels and wild hunt and all the other stuff that we touched on um, he talks more about that in the first episode he was part of, as well as in the hundredth episode where he talks a little bit about, um, like the the mental the issue the health issues and all this other stuff. But it was more about just hundredth episode and we were celebrating that. So, um, so do check out the previous episodes too. But um, obviously I've been Stephen Hesse. Thank you so much for listening to the Geek Partners podcast. And I'll end like I always end in the words of the great B movie Robert Josh Crash and Burn. And we'll see you very soon for another edition of the episode of Geek Apocalypse. Thanks, guys. Bye.